Stand Strong with Women's Aid and Alliance Insurance on News Talk. Today we mark the first day of the hashtag Stand Strong movement, a new campaign launched by Women's Aid and Alliance Insurance. The movement aims to engage, educate and empower the people of Ireland to help end domestic abuse and raise much needed funds for the charity to support women and children in need. But what is the best way to stand strong with these women? What changes do we need to make as a society to enable this change? I'm joined today for a special panel to mark the occasion by those who advocate for these changes. Nora Casey, businesswoman, entrepreneur and domestic abuse survivor, Ava Smith, Chair of Women's Aid and Don Hennessy, former Director of the National Domestic Violence Intervention Agency and author of three books on the subject of domestic abuse. Well, you're all very welcome and thank you very much for coming in. Alva, can I start with you as Chair of Women's Aid? Can we talk a little bit about the Stand Strong campaign? Because this is a very different way to talk about domestic abuse. We're talking about it as a a national solution, something we can all be involved in. Because I think when we other something and talk about it as if it happens over there or to somebody else, we forget that we can all be part of the solution. Yes, we want policy change, system change, but we want change on all levels. Well, uh, exactly. I think that's such a really central point, Claire. that uh, the way systems and structures and everything changes is when we all get involved and we all start working for that change and demanding it and pushing for it and so on and so forth. So this is, I think, a really interesting campaign. First of all, it brings together, you know, uh, Allianz, which is a big company, a big employer. It says this is something which is relevant to us um, as employers in the workplace relevant to our customers, our clients who are buying whatever insurance and so on and so forth. And Women's Aid, which is, you know, a big uh, national um, national service. So it, it's saying we need, to, we need to work together to really draw attention, to focus people, to to, as they, they put it in the campaign messages, to lift the lid on domestic violence to really shine a very, very, very bright spotlight. And not just as a once-off, but to understand that doing this kind of work takes years. So Allianz and uh, Women's Aid have a partnership which goes over three years. And I think that that's also getting something into our heads that we can't can't and we clearly haven't solved this problem overnight but at present we absolutely must make the commitment you know with our legislation with our policies with our funding our budgets with our educational programs that we are once and for all actually going to try to get to the root of this problem and I, I I think, therefore, Stand Strong is very important. And not least because it is actually saying, look, you know, this ha- women are strong. We have great resilience. We have great courage. We have great determination. We also have great skills and great capacities and talents. It, but it can happen. This can happen to any woman. But we all need to stand strong with as and for uh, women who have been subjected to uh, violence by by their intimate partners or, or fa- other family members. So I think that that message in itself is tremendous. So the uh, the image, if you like, of the campaign is that everybody 
men and women, not just women, but we all get out there on Monday on the, the Bridget's Day holiday and that we do the warrior pose, which is uh, this very simple, straightforward yoga pose. I have a crutch at the moment and I can actually do the warrior pose kind of sitting down. But it is making that point that we are actually really strong and that we have to overcome this notion somehow that when women are subjected to uh, domestic violence, that it is at some level something wrong with that woman. That's completely untrue. The wrong is with the perpetrator. The wrong, the shame, the disgrace is with the man who perpetrates this violence of whatever kind uh, on a woman. So we're encouraging women to stand strong and we're encouraging men, the vast majority of whom abhor this this violence. And we're saying to the men as much as to the women, even more in a way to the men, this is your problem. You need to stand up strong about this. You need to call it out. You need to say this is wrong. You need to say that violence is never acceptable and there is never, ever, ever any excuse. And can I bring you in on, on that then, Nora Casey, because you're well known now for speaking out of your own lived experience as a domestic abuse survivor in the Virgin Media documentary, on the Late Late Show and, and throughout the media. And you're very much an advocate working with women. Um, and we need to hear about lived experience because I think, as Alva alluded to there, there can be a misunderstanding as to what domestic abuse is, can't there? Yeah, I agree. Um, I think, by the way, the most important thing is to listen to lived experiences. You know, when I talked first, it was a really difficult thing to do. I was nine years with somebody who was very violent and very coercive, and I found it very difficult to forgive myself that I'd spent so much time with him. You have to remember that in later life, I would find myself on panels with women who would, you know, very sternly say that they would walk straight out of the door if a man lifted a hand to them. Um, And I always felt very belittled by that, Mm. that somehow I was weak and powerless. And uh, what was wrong with me? You know, why did I stay with him? I think the one thing I realised going on the late late was as powerless as I felt back then, I had one little superpower, which was if I told my story, I might be able to help somebody listening, somebody sitting on a couch out there who, where it could resonate with them, you know, that, uh, that this was happening in their relationship too. But the one thing, looking back, is I was really strong. You know, I think what I loved about the World's Stronger Women campaign, which Alliance and Women's Aid worked on last year, and this is a great evolution of that, Stand Strong, is that um, all the things I saw as being weak was, was not being weak at all. I was all day, every day, living with a man whose temper could flare at any moment. I was living through nights after violent episodes. I got up every day, but my coat on, went into work, had no one to talk to, nobody to share that information with. And I went through that time and time again. So what kind of strength do I imagine I must have had? And the courage at the end of the day after, I think it took me two years to leave him. And there were episodes of him threatening to kill himself, throwing his clothes out the window. But by then he'd broken bones in my face and my ribs. And I still, to this day, when I smile, you know, half my face goes down because he broke this side of my face on the left so badly. So even when I'm at my most happiest, I'm reminded of that incident. So the courage to leave is everything for me. I think if we could capture how women leave, you know, there's 
scant research into that area. I know from talking to fellow survivors that we all have stories that have similarities. For me, it was my mother. She's a strong woman. She'd come to London. She'd witnessed my husband slapping me. And uh, she basically said, if, if you don't do something about that, your two brothers will spend life in prison for murdering him. Hmm. And I knew that by telling somebody else, especially my mom, who's a counsellor, she's a mental health nurse, that I had the strength to walk away. And I will never forget that morning, you know. I can't tell you. I, I lived in South London and I worked in Harrow and it's nearly a two-hour journey. So from seven o'clock every day, especially on Monday morning, I spent a good deal of it crying and telling myself, berating myself that I hadn't left him. And every Friday evening I promised I would do it. So it came to Friday this week, the week after my mum talked to me when I came home. And I packed a tiny bag. You have to remember that towards the end I had no money. I had nowhere to live. Uh, somehow I had all the debt and he had all the power. He was very wealthy. I was living at his home. Um, I had no plan, none whatsoever. I just woke up at 4am, I had a shower and I had a speech prepared. I still laugh about that now. I wrote that speech for months. And in all those car journeys, I went over it, over it in my mind. And uh, it was probably about 5.30am when I woke him up. And he said, what's going on? What are you doing? And I said, I'm leaving you. And he started to laugh and said, get back into bed. It's far too early. And then I plowed straight into my speech. And I think I was into the second sentence when I could hear him gently snoring in the background. And I walked down the stairs. I had a tiny little red car. And I remember driving away and feeling like I'd driven off a cliff. It was the most frightening experience of my life. And I still say to this day, the courage that took was phenomenal. So whenever I look back and think I was weak, um, I remind myself of that courage. And I spoke to my younger sister for most of the journey. I think I put my coat on backwards. I still had to go in and do a full day's work. And I, I stayed at the Ibis at Heathrow because it was the cheapest I could find um, that night. I think it was 39.99. And when I was sitting on the floor, which I felt my whole world was falling apart, I had a tiny bag, I had no belongings, I had no money, I had no savings, I had nowhere to live. There were happy families either side of me through the paper-thin walls laughing and excited about going on holidays. And I, the only thing that I kept saying to myself is don't go back. I was put under tremendous pressure by colleagues of his um, and he himself to go back. Uh, he even threatened to take his own life and did try it. And I still didn't go back. So you have to ask yourself that somebody who sets out as a nurse, who's me, uh, doesn't set out to make millions, um, certainly doesn't aspire to be a dragon in Dragon's Den. But when I drove away that day, I promised myself nobody would ever own me like that again, ever. I wanted to stand on my own two feet and be financially independent. Uh, and, you know, because I'd made that big, courageous decision, first I met Richard, the love of my life. And even though he's gone now, I still thank my blessings. I found somebody. You know, I didn't actually know what love was with Peter. I assumed that the toxicity of that relationship was love. When I met Richard, I realised what love was. I had my beautiful son, Dara, still my rock. I also went on to own companies. I mean, that, that's highly unlikely for a young woman from the North Dublin area who went to a Dutch school to end up owning multiple companies. And it's often a hard message to say to people who go through really tough times, especially in domestic abuse, that sometimes it changes you and it gives you a new chapter and you find that that strength and resilience stays with you for the rest of your life. 
And I think if we're going to talk about what needs to change here, we need to stop asking the question, why doesn't she leave or why didn't you leave? We need to start asking, why are you doing that to that woman? We need to focus on that part and not on why did the the victim or the survivor leave. I think it's a really important shift in how we view it. Well, I I think it's always... First of all, can I just say that, you know, Nora, I have... I just just think that you have been so brave to speak out and to speak out really so so fully and so movingly about that experience because I think quite honestly the majority of people probably don't really understand just how incredibly disempowering and undermining um violence, abuse, coercive control are for a woman that really you can be, you can start off as strong as you like, but you will be worn down. And I think, you know, you actually do describe and communicate that, I think, very powerfully. And I think it's really important to understand because that's part of helping us to understand how how it needs to be tackled. And I, I do think that it's really important for us now to to refocus because we did start off many, many, many decades ago now in the 1970s with that key problem of what is the root of um, men's violence against women and particularly talking about domestic violence and uh, abuse and control and saying that it is inequality, it is actually male power. It's what I as a feminist used to and still do called patriarchal control of women. But I think at the same time we have to be incredibly careful to say that as we broaden out that question, as we we shift our perspective, that at the same time we have to go on ensuring that women who are trying to move from or who need to move from very... Uh, controlling abusive, dangerous relationships that for for themselves and for their families, it is really important that the protections and the supports and the the ways of doing that, as Nora was talking about, that they are fully there in place. So um, the big European Convention on Violence Against Women says that prevention which is what we're talking about with the roots, is really important. But so too is protection. Yes. Protection, protection, because we can't ever, and I'm saying that as someone who is not in frontline services, I'm on the board of Women's Aid, but I can see that ensuring that women can know how they can know about how they could begin that long, difficult process of leaving an abusive relationship can happen. That's protection. And we need good, good, you know, we need good policies, good laws. uh, And we also need, we need funding. We need services. We need all of that. And we need it to be prioritised. I want to bring in uh, Don Hennessy. Um, Don, it's very important that we do get a, a male voice in this conversation. Often when we have these discussions, there's almost like a, a defence kicks in of, of, of not every man. And, and this is by no means an anti-men campaign. This is an anti-abuse campaign. Uh, thank you very much for, for joining us today. I think that's an important part of the conversation because I, I think it detracts from what we're actually trying to say when we start getting into this not every man discussion. One of the things that you can be absolutely certain of, Claire, is that the vast majority of men abhor what happens inside the front door of people's houses. Uh, The context of the intimacy hides so much of this behaviour 
that it, it makes it very difficult for both men and women to access the real behaviours and the real dangers associated with it. So when, when I, I hear Nora describing her, her journey to freedom, it, it's, it strikes me as very courageous because she seems to have done it on her own with, her, with the help of her mother, but she still had to do it on her own. Whereas what Eva says there is, is connected to protection. And I'd be very clear that these men are so devious and so far ahead in their thinking of what's going on in the public domain that we all need to work together to protect these people. And morally, that's the position we need to take when we hear somebody is being abused. The, the old days of saying, oh, well, we believe you and we're very sorry for you and I think it would be good for you if you did A, B or C hasn't worked. As Ava says, we're, we're, we're tackling this problem since the 70s and only recently during the COVID lockdown, we learned very clearly that the problem is endemic in Ireland and it hasn't got any better over the years. So this Stand Strong movement could be the start of something really new and really big if we begin to tackle the issue of protection. Can I ask you, Don, in your three books on, on the subject of domestic abuse, based on your, your, your work with oh, countless women going through it, um, you talk about the perpetrator in a way of... You, you even compare it yourself in some of the interviews to, to a paedophile with the intent, with the grooming. And well, as you... I, I, don't, I don't actually compare them, Claire. I actually try to explain that they are more devious than the paedophile because a paedophile just has to groom a child and groom his, the child's supports, whereas uh, an, an adult abuser has to groom an adult has to persuade her that she is falling in love with this guy and that he is the best thing for her in her life. And that takes a a huge amount of skill. But they do that, and the woman becomes enamored at the beginning and then is criticized for some inadequacies, which she's familiar with. It's not something new to her. None of us are perfect. And then she spends the rest of the relationship trying to measure up to the standards that the guy um, expresses and demands. And that is more skillful than any paedophile. And the question I wanted to ask you on that is, often when we, we talk about abuse on that level, you know, there are certain cohorts that believe we should treat those perpetrators as ill as well as criminal. Do you believe that that's part of the discussion that we start to look at why this happens in the first place as well as punishing and supporting those who are victims of it? The the first thing is most of the perpetrators that I met are quite happy men. They are quite content in living their own lives and using the services of others 
to improve their own lives. And if that's mental illness, I'm not sure. I, I don't think it is. I think in some ways we're all capable of making our life easier. But we, most of us, have a conscience which says, that would be great for me, but I can't do that because somebody else is going to suffer. So the guys that are perpetrating intimate abuse within an intimate relationship don't have that switch-off mechanism which says, hold on a second, John, you can't do that. So they just think of their own benefits and they have no uh, recognition of the suffering that they're inflicting. Just before we take a break, Nora, I want to give you a a chance to speak on that. There is still so much shame and stigma that you alluded to earlier, that it's somehow your fault, which it it isn't. And and that stops people seeking help, doesn't it? It does. And I think every... I don't talk too often about this because I find it Mm. quite traumatic, to be honest. And um, I saw a psychologist after doing your documentary, which was great. Um, I, I really found it useful. So it's it's not something I talk about all the time, but I do. I regularly meet uh, women of all ages um, who grab my hand and tell me about their experiences. Sometimes they feel that because they're going through coercive control, it's not as important. But I know when I was describing my physical scars earlier, they're nothing compared to the psychological scars I have. You know what Don was just describing. I recognise all of it. I think. Peter fell in love with me after two or three dates, um, put me on a pedestal, said I was his princess. Uh, I had no idea. I was in my early 20s. I didn't have any concept of what love was. I just kept thinking that this was love, that somebody who loves you so much, you know, would say all these wonderful things. And then before long, he was asking me, was I going to wear that dress? Um, was I comfortable looking like that? If we went out, he would grab my arm if another man came to talk to me. In fact, the first time he hit me, to my shame, I say that now because that is exactly what I felt like up until recently. He hit me before we got married. You know, it wasn't something that, you know, gradually grew out of marriage. So we were coming, he was taking me around the world. I had never, look, I'm a nurse. I come from North Dublin. I trained as a nurse in Scotland. I'm coming out of nursing into journalism. I hadn't been to my name. I'd never flown anywhere except from Dublin to Scotland. And he wanted to take me to all these exotic places. He had my passport. I by then was living in his house because I was in Diggs in Hammersmith and his house was far more glamorous. And uh, we went for something to eat. And as we were driving up the driveway towards the house, I said something, I don't know what I said, but he slammed his hand on the steering wheel and, um, and he screeched to halt. And he very quickly got out his side of the car and when he came round to my side, he tore the door open, but I still didn't understand what was happening. I thought he was helping me out of the car. And when he pulled me out, he slammed my head on the top of the car uh, really hard. And he just casually walked up to the door and turned the key and walked in and went to bed. And I, to my horror, was constantly saying, what did I do? What did I say? How did I make him do that? I must have triggered something terrible. And as I was sitting on the couch until four or five in the morning, I was quickly trying to decide what makeup I could use to mask all the bruises on the side of my face. We were a few hours into the flight the next day. By the way, I'm just admitting this straight up. I got up and got dressed. We didn't say one word to each other. We went to Heathrow and we got on that plane. 
and he um, was sitting across the aisle from me about a couple of hours after the flight took off and he put his hand out and my ear was, you know, cauliflower ear. I can tell you it was a real thing. And the whole side of my face was black and blue and uh, he started to touch it and I flinched away and he was crying, uncontrollably crying and kept saying it was the stress of the holiday. I'll never do that to you again. You know, I can't believe I did this to you. And of course... I wanted to hear those words. Mm. I completely believed that somebody who loved me so much would never hit me again. And if I knew then, what I know now is if a man hits you once, he's never going to stop. You know, I think uh, just to sidetrack to a brilliant campaign that Women's Aid launched and after I spoke on the late later, it resonated with me, so I helped to support it. And in the first few years, Two Into You, which is a great uh, website. And it, for any young person, the age that I was, you know, who's misconstruing a relationship that may be toxic and bad, and no matter whether boys or girls or genders or what kind of relationship it is, you can do a very simple questionnaire. Only the other day, I went in to, to buy a plant and the man who gave me the change grabbed my hand at the same time and he very, very, very upset said... Um, that campaign saved my daughter's life. Mm. She wouldn't listen to us as parents. We all knew he was alienating um, her friends and her family. We sent the link to the campaign and she did the questionnaire and realised that he wasn't good for her. Now that's powerful stuff out of something that Women's Aid does when they get funding, just to constantly bleat out to get up today and do a warrior pose. It'll cost you nothing. You know, as you reach your fingers out, just imagine you're touching the fingers of another woman that you can give strength to. The same way as my mum gave strength to me. You yeah. stand in solidarity with them and then please give a donation to Women's Aid. Yeah, and take it out of the shreds of secrecy. I am going to take a break, but perhaps when we come back, we can get into that culture of, of how we view women and how that may be feeding into this issue and some changes we need to make there. You're listening to News Talk and our Stand Strong panel today in conjunction with Women's Aid and Allianz Insurance. You're welcome back to News Talk. Claire McKenna with you and I'm joined by a very special panel today. We are marking the first day of the hashtag Stand Strong movement, a new campaign launched by Women's Aid and Alliance Insurance. And the movement aims to engage, educate and empower the people of Ireland to help end domestic abuse and raise much needed funds for the charity to support women and children in need. You can find out more by going to standstrong.ie and I'm joined in studio by Nora Casey, who is a well-known entrepreneur and businesswoman and a domestic abuse survivor, Ava Smith, Chair of Women's Aid, and on the line, Don Hennessy, former director of the National Domestic Violence Intervention Agency and author of three books on domestic abuse. So I was saying before the break that we would get into discussing the cultural changes that need to take place because we're looking at this on a societal level. And I was listening to a researcher who was talking to Sean Moncrief on the topic this week. And she has researched thousands of cases of of murder, of domestic abuse and of the perpetrators. And she was talking about a lot of the, the red flags. And one of the big issues, she said, was how we view women and any culture that views women as somebody who needs to be there for a man, that it's their duty, that we own people in a relationship and that relationships are for life, that that's a real danger. And I don't think that people 
will imagine that. I mean, some of the things you said there, Nora, like the first time someone hits you, of course, that's a, you know, a red flag, not in any way alluding to why you wouldn't leave. But they think that's the only indicator. And as you said, with the two into you campaign, that's widening a little bit. And I think we do still have that patriarchal view of women and their place in society. And I really think it's something we need to start talking about and changing. Yeah, I think I have a boy, you know, he's 24, studying for his master's. And um, I think every time we talk about young girls and how they should dress, how they should behave, how they should keep themselves safe, how they shouldn't go out into dark lanes, I think it's how we raise our boys, you know, not how we raise our girls. That is really important. There's no part of him that doesn't respect women, you know, having me (laughs) as a mother. Um, But I also think that um, the really important thing is for women to know that there is support long term. I think you've said that before and this campaign is going out over a longer period of time because the first call you make to Women's Aid is a really important one and you'll find, you know, an amazing person at the other end that will listen to you. For all the women out there who constantly tell me mine wasn't nearly as, you know, bad as somebody else's, please don't think like that. Just pick up the phone. Nobody judges anything about your relationship. Then you have to have the courage and the strength to stay away And then, like me, most women are in for years and years of, you know, divorce, perhaps criminal proceedings. So they need a lot of strength and a lot of support over that long period of time. So it's it's not just the immediate, um, I suppose, amplification of, you know, the the number that you should call. And we should do that at the end. I know you will, Claire. Um, But also, you know, the long term supports that we can put in place that will help these women. I I mean, just, just, just thinking about what you know what 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 needs what needs to change and, and in a way what has changed i think i think it of course it is extremely important that the ways in which boys young boys are raised to think about girls is very very key and i think that there is a lot of work still to be done um you know obviously i know and you know you are one you know women all over the country, all over the world, basically, are seeking to raise their boys as good boys who have real respect for other people, all people, women and and men, and particularly women. But there is huge competing pressure coming from a culture which has remained really very pro, pro-male, pro-masculinist, pro that sense that men have of somehow being entitled to have power over over women. That has not really been firmly, we have not dislodged that. We really have not shifted that significantly. So when in, in Women's Aid and in other violent services, when we actually talk about the importance of equality, of gender equality, equality between women and men as being a bedrock of overcoming um, violence against women and girls, that is really very, very, very important because one of the problems is that girls can actually, if you like, they become, they take on that image that young boys and, and, and young men and older men have of them. We see ourselves in that way. There's not enough countering that. There's not enough... Um, that is coming to say, no, you really are strong, which is actually why, precisely why the Alliance campaign is about strength um, and the strength of women. It is because it is just too easy. Uh, it, it is just that sense that women are in some sense 
inferior to men is still embedded in our culture. I mean, that is something that we have been fighting for decades and decades and decades. And it has to start, I think, with uh, the work that we do with boys, the work that starts at home and that is there from kindergarten and infants, you know, young infants. Yeah. And I mean, I agree with you. Primary I... school throughout. But I mean, you, you just look at those images of masculinity that boys are growing up with. I mean, they, 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 they're, they're often, ex- they're, they're tough. Uh, they are in themselves very violent kinds of images. They're also very arrogant. Um, I'm thinking of certain kind, certain sports, by no means all, where arrogance is considered to be an actual strength, to be a power. Uh, we look at who actually rules the world, who is in charge of the vast majority of what actually happens in the world. Yeah. We really and even some of the innocuous questions, that. like you can have two female world leaders and the comments will be on what shoes well, they're wearing or what clothes well, they're wearing. And even innocuous, Claire. seemingly innocuous things like that. But... I work a lot with the the Shona project to go into schools and empower school go- going girls um, through education. And it, its mm-hmm. director Tammy Darcy was talking to me about some of their research. And even though we've started to talk so much more about equality, about gender roles, and and what they mean, and doing away with a lot of the stereotyping, and consent is far bigger on the table than it ever was when I was growing yes. up. At the same time, she says school-going girls in surveys that I, they have asked have said that many of them feel like moving targets, that there are discussions about taking their virginity on WhatsApp groups by boys. And, you know, she feels that people aren't talking to boys the way we are talking exactly. to girls. Don, can I ask you as a, the male voice on that, mm-hmm. what your thoughts are there? Well, I would totally agree with you. Uh, it is a man's problem. And it also is uh, promoted by, I suppose, uh, groups of men when they get together. These are the discussions they have about young girls and women uh, in, in, in terms of their sexual priority. And really, fundamentally, it comes down to the level of consent that the woman is entitled to have in a relationship. If she has authority in the bedroom, then she'll cope with the rest of her day. But if her expectation is that once she goes to bed, she has no standing, she has no humanity, and that this man will have his needs met in whatever way he wants to, that that really leaves her in a very secondary position in the relationship. But that also, uh, yeah, I absolutely agree, Don, and I think that, that that really all comes from this sense in which boys still, whether they articulate it to themselves in this way or not, is not really the point. There mm-hmm. is still that profound belief that they have more power and that they are entitled to have that power. That, so that we have not, in fact, achieved that culturally, socially, oh God, in any no. way, we have not achieved that kind of equality. And of course, when you look right across the world, when you look at media, when you look at popular culture, that is just absolutely staring us in the face. And absolutely. just the other day, I was reading an article about Jacinda Ardern and her mm-hmm. surprise stepping down from her post as, as Prime Minister in New Zealand. And mm-hmm. it transpires that uh, a study which was done in the University of Auckland, absolutely, uh, you know, 
stand over it any day, had found that she was subjected to between 50 and 90% more vitriolic attacks on social media and in media generally than um, equivalent male leaders. Now, that is absolutely, it, it just demonstrates to us that there is a kind of, that, that there is a ganging up against women who are leaders and perhaps perhaps particularly women who are taking a different kind of tack, who have a different sort of approach to their leadership. And that, you know, that is just one example, but it is, I think, a very telling and a very pertinent one, that there is some sense in which women and girls are still seen, as as you said, Claire, as being in the ownership of boys and men, and that there is therefore that entitlement to do as they wish. And unfortunately, there is nothing sufficiently strong countering that uh, for girls. It's very, very difficult. It's important. I would just love on Monday when we're all to be out there doing our warriors uh, pose, I would just love to think that young girls, that seven and eight and nine and ten and eleven-year-old girls would get out there and do their warriors pose because at that age they have that strength, they have that self-belief. They have, I know it from my own granddaughter, she's ten, that she, she, I think, could, could change the world. So how does that get whittled away? Yeah, what and they don't see it? themselves as less that's than boys. that's Shona, the Shona yeah. project is great in going in there. That's why, as, as you were saying, Nora, the Two Into You project is so important because it's saying to those young women, 16, 17, 18, don't, don't let this happen to you. You are really strong. Don't let them, don't let them disempower you. You have your power. We have got to make sure that girls from the earliest age can feel their power and that boys, conversely, feel theirs less. Yeah, and there are certain things that they don't need. Anything else that comes yes. along is an added bonus, and but it's not something that they need. I will have to take another break, but when we come I, back <laughs> on our Stand Strong panel, I'm sorry, Alva. That's okay. When we come back on our Stand Strong panel, we will look at some of the positive changes that have been taking place. You're listening to News Talk and our Stand Strong panel. You're welcome back to our Stand Strong panel here on News Talk, a new campaign launched by Women's Aid and Alliance Insurance. This is Claire McKenna and I'm joined in studio by Nora Casey, businesswoman, entrepreneur and domestic abuse survivor and advocate for change. Alva Smith, chair of Women's Aid and Don Hennessy, who is an author of three books on the subject of domestic abuse. And... I want to turn now to the changes that have been made because I think every time there is a report in the paper of another death at the hands of domestic abuse and the stats are fairly staggering. One in four women will experience domestic abuse. One in five before the age of 25. Over half of all murders of women are as a result (coughs) of domestic violence. And I think the murder of Ashling Murphy there has been so many before and after her, sadly, who have equal importance to the loss of her life. But the outcry was huge. And I think everybody really hoped this would be a watershed moment. And then when we get another death, there have been 11 since then. And I think last year was the highest on record. People almost throw their hands up and think, is nothing changing here? But there are some positives. We do have the national strategy. There are legislative and policy changes moving through the Shannon. And as well as 
shifting our, our cultural perspective on domestic abuse, it's important to focus on them to keep the momentum going, isn't it, Alva? Yes, absolutely. And I mean, I, I think certainly from my own perspective, looking back to the 1970s and women's age will actually be 50 years old next year. So, you know, it's 50 years um, since really the issue was raised, not just in Ireland, but but globally. Um, we can sometimes think nothing has changed. And I think that is actually partly because while a great deal has actually changed, that it, it is now that the extent, the level, the nature of that violence against women and girls is really coming up to the surface, coming more to public attention. Yeah. And brave women like Nora speaking out and describing and telling it like it really is, is it, that that is something which has changed very much as well. And I always think of a line in a poem by Anne Sexton, which was simply something like, what would happen uh, if one were, if one woman were to tell the truth, and the answer is the world would split open. So I think that there is that kind of splitting open of the world, um, which really came, I think, very much to the fore here in Ireland with that awful, tragic death of terrible murder of Ashley Murphy. That people suddenly thought, "Oh my God, this is appalling." Two hundred and fifty-six women. Uh, died violently since 19, etc, etc. So I think that that awareness has actually changed. I think it has shifted. And I think that we have had better legislation. I think we've had more recognition of the needs of the services that uh, that serve women and that the strategy, the, this, uh, uh, the new national strategy on violence against uh, women is a very important one. The, of course, the, the proof of that will, as always, be in the implementation of the strategy and in the amount of funding which government, whichever government is in power, whichever, is prepared to put behind that strategy. Because the truth of the matter is that Alliance and Women's Aid working together in partnership is to raise funds, is to raise money to actually be able to provide the breadth of services that women need. That is not happening yet anything like sufficiently at state level. And I, I've been saying recently, and I believe it really strongly, particularly with the increasing number of femicides that are coming, uh, violent deaths of women that are coming to the surface, that we, we, we have what you could call an ongoing emergency in Ireland. And we have violence against women at crisis levels. A crisis is something you expect lasts for, I don't know, a month, a year, like COVID, maybe two years, whatever it is. You don't expect it to last all the time. We have a crisis all the time. Yeah, without so a crisis response. We need a crisis response. We need intervention, which is absolutely top priority, top level, top dollar going into it because that is fundamentally it is going to take a whole society, whole government, whole determination response to really get to the root of this problem and to take action right across our society, educationally, socially, culturally, politically, economically, actually violence against women, men's violence against women costs our state an enormous amount of money and it costs women themselves a lot of money. So if we could turn that around and invest that into the prevention strategies, 
uh, we would, yeah. I think, be a safer place. You're right, because sometimes when the moral isn't working, you have to show the economical, which is actually quite a sad fact. Can I ask you, Nora, about one of the proposed legislative changes that is going through the Shannad at the moment, and it's the right to leave from work for domestic abuse. And I think it's an important one because it brings it into the workplace. It, it takes it out of, of secrecy because obviously if and when this comes in, there's going to have to be policies around it. The HR team are going to have to speak to their staff about it. I mean, I've been working for, you know, over 25 years and never at any stage has domestic abuse. Obviously here in News Talk it has been and we've been sent for training on how to discuss domestic abuse on air. But as how I could be an ally to my fellow employees, this is a very new way of taking it out of secrecy and into the public domain. And that's why I think it's an important one. Yeah, I often think what would have helped me, it certainly would have helped me if I was able to take time away from work. I mean, I just described that day when I left uh, Peter and I had to do a full day's work. I mean, I didn't have an opportunity to have a single, and uh, not an hour off, nothing. My boss, nobody in my company knew what was happening to me and I didn't feel that I could share that either. Um, so the, the, the five days leave is, is really welcome. But as you just described, Claire, perhaps the bigger impact is the conversations that have to happen mm-hmm. in order to enable that. Um, it's... It, it's happening in really good companies. You know, I've certainly been involved in some big corporates who've introduced all kinds of great things, um, including part of the woman's salary going into a more secret bank account. Um, mm. That would have been very important for me and it could have helped me if I was able to do that. I would just say that overwhelmingly things are so much better than what happened to me. I didn't have a woman's aid helpline. You know, I didn't have a refuge I could go to. Um, in fact, when I came back here first in 2002, I, I had acquired the magazines and one of them was Irish Tatler. I wanted to run a women's event and to raise funds for women's aid. Even though I hadn't spoken about it at the time, it was still a really important charity to me. And two of my high profile sponsors, very big sponsors in the beauty industry, advised me that it would be really negative of me to associate the event with a charity that was involved in domestic abuse. Um, and the language they were using was very much growing out of almost Father Ted, you know, Mary and John. There's two of them in it. Mm. Nobody knows the truth. It gives a bad impression on something that's supposed to be luxurious and glamorous. So look at us now talking about it all day, every day. As a personal perspective, you were talking about Ashley Murphy and I agree of all of the things that have happened over the years that one, for some reason, struck a huge chord with everybody. I mean, nothing but the the horror of doing something like going for a jog and that family destroyed and that young woman's life lost. And sometimes I can feel very overwhelmed. I'm sure your listeners do too. You think of there's so many shades of ways that women can suffer and die and be maimed and brutalised, um, psychologically and physically harmed. And I try to focus on things that I know I can do well. I know that I can reach out to women who are listening who may be going through something like this and to encourage them to take the first step to make that phone call. And I know that all of the other people who say to me all the time, I feel so helpless, what can I do? That today I can say you can do something very simple. You can get outside, gather your friends, your kids, your husbands, fathers, brothers, as many men as women and do the warrior pose, take a photograph, let's get it trending all over social media in Ireland and make a donation. You could do that one simple thing that might help everything. Uh, Don, can I ask you of, you know, your experience working with women in this situation, how important 
is support, not only the supports that Alva mentioned, you know, access to help, financial support, legal support, but feeling that people are your allies and people are on your side in in the way Nora spoke of there. I, I think it, it's essential that a woman feels supported. But what is more important for each woman when I meet them is that they begin to believe that they can be protected. So Elva mentioned that earlier on, that it's one of the pillars of the new uh, government strategy, uh, that the people who are being abused must initially be protected. And when Nora ran away, she was then protected because her abuser hadn't access to her. And then she would make her own decision as to how she would live the rest of her rest of her life, because some of the women that I work with are, are connected to three or four children, and and that really makes their decision much more difficult. Yes. So that if if they can be reassured that everybody in the community that they approach will be taking the same position. And that is a position of protection because that's our moral and ethical duty is to say this woman is being abused and I must try and stop that. And and also to be saying, I think, at the same time that men who commit these crimes against women must actually pay the price for having done so, that it is morally wrong and socially unacceptable. That's the the other part of, of the issue that is really vital at this stage. Men have to be prosecuted. Men have to be held to account. And worse than that, men who are supported by other men and are encouraged to continue their activity can be prosecuted, can be in some ways uh, sanctioned, and yet they can re-emerge and be even more dangerous to women when they when they get back in society. Mm, yes, well, I think we so, are all in agreement that there should be zero tolerance on yeah. violence, particularly when it comes to sentencing and the messaging that puts out there. I think we are going to have to leave it there. It's such a big topic and, <laughs> you know, we've, we've been able to touch on some really important points, though, and I'm very grateful to each and every one of you, especially Nora. I know it's not an easy topic, but you show your strength every time you talk about this and you show that you stand with women, as we all will today. You can take part, um, as, as Nora mentioned, by showing your support of women in this situation and not othering it, taking it out and saying we all stand against this. To find out more about how you can even do the warrior pose and how you can donate very important funds to help Women's Aid do what they do, you can go to standstrong.ie. To Nora Casey, I thank you very, very much. To Alva Smith, another warrior woman, thank you very, very much. And Don Hennessy, thank you for joining us today and all the work you do also. And thank you very much to you for listening. If you have been affected by anything that we have discussed today, Women's Aid do have a free phone helpline 1-800-341-900. 1-800-341-900. Stand strong with Women's Aid and Alliance Insurance on News Talk. You can donate and find out more at standstrong.ie.